Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've given us uh, your word in the Bible. Please help us to be attentive now. Please help us to uh, hear with sober minds and hearts that are willing to uh, listen and uh, consider the very important things that uh, you have to say to us today. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, today's sermon uh, is not the sort of sermon where you can, um, at the end of it, go, um, that was interesting, what's for lunch? Uh, it really is not. Um, there's probably some sermons like that. There probably shouldn't be some sermons like that, but especially today. Um, at the end of, I, I'll just tell you up front. Today I'm going to ask you to make a decision at the end, and I want to tell you that up front so you're not uh, ambushed by it. But at the end of the sermon, I'm going to ask you to make a choice, uh, and it's a really, really important choice. Uh, it matters probably more than anything you've done your entire life. Um, specifically, I'm going to invite you today at the end to repent which is a very religious-sounding word today. Uh, it's not that religious, really. It really just means change your mind. Um, in the Bible, it means something more um, specific than that. It means turn away, change your mind, as in turn away from the things that are contrary to God and turn towards God. Um, start obeying God. Start having faith in God and his promises rather than all the things that are the opposite or the alternative to that. Um, you might be sitting there thinking... Um, I go, to, um, I go to church, I've been to church a long time, I'm a Christian. Um, I want to encourage you, if that's you, you're thinking, I've already repented, it's already something like this, I don't need to listen. Um, you do. Um, I've got to say, I have met a lot of people who go to church and call themselves Christians who are not yet Christians and not yet converted. And that isn't like a loaded thing where I'm saying, yeah, you lot there or anything. It's just a very general statement about my experience in ministry. Um, we need to listen whenever we hear God's word, um, and you need to make a decision today too, even if that decision is just to continue in the promises of God and continuing to turn away from the things that are contrary to him. Um, it's, it's also possible you're sitting there going, um, I, I don't even believe in Jesus. <laughs> I don't believe God exists or something like that. Um, if that's you today, what I want to say is, um, could you please listen and think of what I'm saying in terms of, I need to think this through, uh, let's just for the sake of the argument, imagine if it is true. Because today I'm not going to spend any time trying to prove to you that Jesus is real. Um, we can do that another time, and if that's an issue for you, you can talk to me afterwards and we can um, arrange an opportunity to, to think through your important questions about that. But today I'd like you to think, what if this is true? Where do I stand in relation to it? Now, we're looking at Romans chapter 2. Last week, Joe took us through Romans chapter 1 that talks about God's wrath. Wrath isn't a word that we use very much these days unless we're Star Trek fans and we like the second Star Trek movies. Anybody know? Not. Wrath of Khan. There you go. Which I can't even remember how it goes except that um, Khan's a bad guy and Kirk ends up yelling Khan and it's really dramatic apparently. It's probably very badly acted. The word wrath, it just means, it just means anger. Um, it's not wrath unless you're American. Um, you know, Americans don't speak English, they speak American, but wrath means anger. We're looking at God's anger against humanity. It's worth saying right up front that God's anger is not like ours. Um, our anger is usually often um, lashing out. Um, in anger, we can sin, we can do the wrong thing because we just see red and we're just furious and we just do what feels right and what feels right is just causing harm. Um, God's anger isn't like that. Um, God's anger is always balanced. It's always precisely right. The passage we're looking at says that it's righteous. It's just. God always does the right thing. So God's anger, God's wrath, we heard last week in the first part of Romans 1.18 to the end of chapter 1, we heard how God's anger is seen presently in the world. Have a look at chapter 1, verse 18, and you'll hear about the wrath of God. 
The wrath of God, the anger of God, is being revealed in the present from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Where do we presently see God's anger in the world? Well, people say, I'd like to live in a world without God and live my own way. And God says, okay, I'll give you that. That's punishment enough for the time being. Because what happens when human beings live their own way? Well, we destroy ourselves, we destroy each other, and we destroy our world. That's, that's judgment. It's, it's an expression of God's anger. Have a look down at verse 28 and look where it leads. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. They've become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed and depravity. They're full of envy, strife, murder, deceit and malice. They're gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They're senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. My goodness, what a list. God's judgment in the present is that we live in a world like that with people like that. It's the problem with the world today. But today's passage is actually focusing on God's judgment in the future. God's judgment that's stored up for the day of God's anger. Have a look at chapter 2, verse 5, about the judgment that awaits us in the future, the the anger of God in the future. Chapter 2, verse 5 says, Because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed. You see, in the Bible, history ends with the day of judgment, where God will call every person from every age to account for what they have done, and he'll treat them as their deeds deserve. On that day, God's anger will come down full force on everyone who rejects him. He'll do it properly, decisively, thoroughly. There will be no appeals. There will be no do-overs. That's the day it happens. Decisively, once it's, it's done. Now, it's an absolutely terrifying idea. I hope you agree. But it also makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Because there's evil in this world that goes unpunished, and even when we punish evil, it doesn't necessarily seem very satisfactory. And there's stuff in our world that needs a judgment day. I've yet to meet a person that thinks that Hitler shouldn't go to hell like for what he's done. And there's lots of people like that at the extreme end of the scale. We go, you know, that person's really evil. They deserve everything they could possibly get for what they did. But if you think about it from worst up to the best person, you've got to draw a line somewhere, don't you? You go along the line, there's very bad people, and at some point you go, where's the line? Where's, where's the point at which there's good people on the other side of the line, there's bad people on the, that other side, and, and the good people shouldn't face judgment day? Well, God says everybody's going to face it, and God's going to do what's right. He's going to act fairly. And so we need to think closer to home. Um, I bet that all of you probably, at least most of you, know some people who are pretty awful people, and you you dislike them, you really struggle to think anything well of them because they're pretty unlikable people and they've done awful things to you or to other people that you know about and you think they deserve to be punished for that. See, we have a big problem because we are very capable of seeing other people like that but very have very, very little capacity to see ourselves like that. Have a look at chapter 2, verse 1, at the warning there. It says, you therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge the other, 
You're condemning yourself because you, you who pass judgment do the same things. One of the most basic human traits is being judgmental of other people, isn't it? We get in our little groups, and what do we do in our little groups? We label people who aren't part of our groups as less than us, as worse than us, in all sorts of ways, whether it's social class, whether it's job, whether it's money, whether it's often morally inferior in, in all kinds of ways. We, that's why gossip is such an evil sin, by the way, because we get together in groups and we demonise other people, and it's safe. Why is it safe? Because we're judging other people and all the scrutiny is focused on other people. And scrutiny can't be on me because we're together talking about other people who aren't here to defend themselves. You, you see how um, judging other people can be very, very dark, actually. It scrutinises other people and it feels safe and it makes us feel safe. It makes us feel like we're better than other people. So one of the things it says here doesn't sound quite convincing because you who pass judgment do the same things. The Bible claims that each of us has the same basic moral failings as the people that we condemn. The basic same moral failings. We're prideful, we're arrogant, we gossip, we malign others, we disobey God. But here's what's extraordinary. When we get together and we label other people and we judge other people and say they're not good, we still have an enormous capacity to go, but I'm a pretty good person. Don't we? It's... We have a lot invested in it, obviously, saying I'm a good person. We want us to think highly of ourselves. There's actually, all the time, lots of really interesting psychological um, studies about how people form beliefs and hold on to them, often contrary to any, ev any evidence that's given to them. So we filter out information that we're not comfortable with. Any evidence that I'm not actually basically a good person, I don't focus on. And I try to just put over there and out of line of sight and focus on the things that reinforce that I'm, I am a pretty decent person because we try and avoid information that challenges our comfort level. I'll tell you about a conversation I had years ago. Like, it's true of all of us, but the extreme examples make it clearest. Um, a bunch of years ago, I was at a beach on New Year's Eve, um, and um, I was talking to a guy who was... Um, uh, we got talking about God stuff, and at some point he told, I said, why are you here? And he said, I'm here to um, pick pockets because people get drunk on New Year's Eve and you make three or four grand picking pockets. I checked my wallet was still in my pocket. <laughs> and then, because we were talking about God stuff, and he said he believed in God's judgment and, and that kind of thing. And I said, but you're doing the wrong thing, aren't you? And, and you said you believe in God's judgment and he's going to judge everybody, including you, and you're doing the wrong thing. So what do you think of that? And it didn't matter what I say, um, Every time I sort of tried to get him to focus on himself, he'd say, but what about other people? What about this person here? Oh, this person did this. Like, it, it, was, it was absolutely remarkable. He thought he was all right. He thought God would welcome him into his kingdom, even though he's really sure that God will judge evildoers and, and, and they'll get what they deserve. But, but I'm all right. And it happens at every level. There's people in prison who have done awful things that think they're basically innocent and it's kind of just a misunderstanding or it's... It, it happens at every level. We convince ourselves we're better than we are, filter out, explain away, rationalise, extenuating circumstances for everything I've done, and over time we actually selectively remember things. We do it unconsciously. We selectively remember things and we colour our memories to be more in our favour. It's how human brains work because we want to justify ourselves. We forget, we minimise, we excuse and we hide and the result is most of us have a very inflated view, an unrealistically inflated view, of how good we are. 
And so we need to take God's warning very seriously. You have no excuse, you who pass judgment on other people, because you're condemning yourself, because you who pass judgment do exactly the same things. In different measures, sure. But we all have the same basic moral failings. One of the biggest questions that people often ask about God is why is there evil in the world? And one of the best answers to it is verse 4. Have a look at verse 4. It's a big part of the reason. It says, Or do you show contempt for the riches of God's kindness, tolerance and patience, not realising that God's kindness leads you toward repentance? He warns them, you have the same moral failings as everybody else. You're not going to escape God's judgment. Why, why do people keep doing the wrong thing? Why doesn't God come and just end it? Why doesn't God intervene and make wrong right? Well, he's going to, and when he does, he's going to come and do it properly. That's what judgment day is. Why hasn't he done judgment day yet? Well, because he's really kind to us. Because he gives us the opportunity, as long as it's called today, to turn away from sin, to have faith in his son, to be forgiven. It's because of his kindness that the world is so messed up, because he lets it continue being messed up so that messed up sinful people can turn to Jesus and be saved. It may not look like God's kindness, but that is an enormous kindness, that we give, have time to repent before Judgment Day. The fact we're sitting here and I'm telling you we have time now to repent is God's kindness to you and me. In light of that, and in light that today is um, an expression of God's kindness to us, if we go through today without repenting and we're saying, I'm not going to listen to God, I'm going to continue doing my own thing, that is showing enormous contempt to God and his generosity, isn't it? Treating him appallingly. I want you to imagine a, um, a man with a mortgage. Let's pretend he pays 2000 bucks a month. So I don't know if that's a lot or a little, I, I, I don't know what average is. Let's just call it X as a round number. Um, at the end of the month, his mortgage is due and he's already spent all the money on entertainment and outings and that kind of thing. The bank says, where's the, where's the money for the month? And he says, I spent it all. And they say, well, we're calling it in. We're taking your house. And he says, no, please don't do that. It's my house. Oh, and, and they very generously say, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll let you off and we'll, we'll let you start paying at the beginning of next month. So next month comes around and he spent the money on a holiday. And the same cycle goes over and over again. They say, all right, you can start again next month. And you could say that's the bank being kind to him because he has this opportunity, but he's treating them with utter contempt. And how is that story going to end? The story is going to end with them calling in the debt at some point. There's going to be a judgment day of that debt. And how big is the debt going to be on that day? It's not going to be the debt he started with. It's going to be growing bigger and bigger as he treats his loan with contempt and it stacks up ever larger. Have a look at chapter 2, verse 5. What happens when people in this time of God's generosity don't repent of their sins and turn to Jesus? It says, because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. Over time, the debt grows as people sin more. Now, who want to store up wrath, honestly? We store up good things normally. Um, you know, you store up grain for winter. <laughs> It's a classic one. You store up money for your holiday. Who wants to store up wrath so you can enjoy it on the day of judgment? This does not sound like a good idea. But that's exactly what's going on. We're storing up wrath for God's judgment to enjoy then if we don't repent 
and go on thinking we're okay and we're better than other people and we'll judge other people and they're bad and we're pretty good and we need to attend to ourselves. So here's my challenge to you um, right now. Don't for the rest of the sermon think, I wish other per- this other person would, would listen to this. Don't be thinking, gee, I'm glad he's hearing this. Don't think, oh, I wish so-and-so was here to hear this today. Okay, maybe. But today's about you hearing the word of God. And when you ever hear the word of God, it's always about you hearing the word of God. What I want you to do is think this is God's word to you. Put your own heart under the microscope today. Where do you stand in relation to these utterly important things? So how's Judgment Day work? Well, it's very simple. It's in verse 6. Very short description. It says, God will give to each person according to what he has done. People will be rewarded on the day of judgment on the basis of good works. They'll get what they deserve. Salvation is based on works. You'll get into heaven, you get eternal life based on works. That's what it says. Now, if you've been, you're a Christian or you've been going to church for a while and you've, you've heard the gospel, you go, wait a minute, that's not salvation is by faith in Jesus and not by works. Isn't that what it says elsewhere in the Bible? Yeah, we're not there yet. This is, this, is how, this is how Judgment Day works, though. God is impartial. That's what it says in verse 11. He gives people what they deserve. It says, verse 11, for God does not show favoritism. He gives people what they deserve on Judgment Day. And so if people do good, well, they get eternal life. You're going, the, the, the thing that you need to, um, if you're struggling with that thought, um, Think of it like this. From chapter 118 to chapter 3, verse 20, there's this big section in Romans, and the whole point of it is every single person who has ever lived to the last person is guilty before God and cannot be saved on the basis of their own good works. If they get what they deserve, they'll be punished. They'll suffer God's wrath if we're on our own two feet before God's judgment. And so that's why once you're convinced of that, you can introduce Jesus and say, therefore you need a saviour in verse 321, and we'll get to that. But have a look at it. the passage we've got here. Jesus is mentioned once in verse 16, and what's his job? Verse 16, it'll take place on the day when God will judge men's secrets through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the judge in this passage, and Jesus will be everybody's judge. He won't be everybody's saviour, but he'll be everybody's judge. And so let's just think about ourselves in relation to God's judgment on our own two feet before him, and there's good people and there's bad people. Bad people get punished, good people get eternal life. That's what it says in verse 7 and following. Have a, have a read with me. Um, it says, To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honour and immortality, God will give eternal life. People who do good and persist in it. See, it's like a, a long life of doing good. Um, but verse 8, But those who are self-seeking, selfish, and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There'll be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. But glory, honour and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then the Gentile, for God does not show favouritism. We kind of think there should be shades of grey, don't we? In my experience, there aren't just good people and bad people. There's lots of things in between. In fact, all the people I know are in between. There's shades of grey. There's worse people and there's better people. And the Bible teaches that too. But remember two things. First of all, we tend to have an inflated view of ourselves. So we'll see ourselves as on the lighter side than we really are. But more importantly, what's being proven through this section of Romans is that none of us is up to God's standard. 
Who here would boldly stand before God and say to God, I have sought to do good my whole life. I've sought, what's, what's the language here? I've, I've done good my whole life um, and uh, sought glory, honour and immortality and I deserve eternal life. I, I, even with an inflated sense of myself, I can't say that with a straight face because I know it's not true. Each of us is under God's judgment on our own two feet, feet and we need a saviour. Now, if you're not convinced, verse 16, I hope, will convince you that you cannot stand and get eternal life on the day of judgment on the basis of your own good works. Because listen to what it says on Judgment Day. This will take place on the day when God will judge men's secrets through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares. God will judge through Jesus. He'll judge our secrets. The things that nobody else knows but you. The things that perhaps are secret even to you. God will judge our secrets through Jesus because God knows everything and will recall everything. It will be comprehensive. And our sins will be on display like HD IMAX. It will be unavoidable. Sins we've forgotten will be recalled vividly. Sins we have minimised will be put back in their proper, accurate proportions. Sins we've excused will be seen to have no good excuse actually at all. Sins we've hid from view will be dragged into the light. And sins that we thought were secret will be made public knowledge. There'll be no hiding and nobody, least of all you, will suffer from the delusion anymore that you are a basically good person who deserves to go to heaven. None of us will have that delusion anymore. But on that day it'll be too late. Because that's the day that God's anger is poured out for those sins onto us who haven't repented. See, it's utterly personal. It's just you with the spotlight on you. It's the opposite of how preaching works. I'm here at a very safe distance from you and I'm talking to you as a group and I'm not pointing any of you out individually and I'm, I'm not saying you give yourself an account of you today. We're, looking, we're focusing on the Bible and what the Bible says to us all. But there'll actually come a day where the Bible isn't just on display up here, but I, you know, I, it's more like I step out from behind my pulpit and I start roving and I'm going to pick somebody and I'm going to give you a microphone and you have to give an account of yourself here and now. I'm going to raise a bunch of sins that you've committed. I'm going to give you a microphone and you need to give me an account of why you did that. And I'm going to raise things that you didn't know I knew because now I know your secrets somehow. And all your hearts are beating faster now because the preacher's never done this before and he belongs up there. Get behind the pulpit, Matthew. But this is the day of judgment now and actually the focus will be on you and your sins and you're thinking, oh, good, it wasn't me, and, and your heart goes, no, no, you're next. Like, everybody gets their turn on the day of judgment. And God completely just penetrates into our reality, and nothing's safe anymore because everything we've ever done, our secrets, comes on display and gets judged justly by the God who knows everything. How do you feel about that? I'd say I feel like I need a saviour before I get there. How about you? See, we spoke about the problem is that as we continue to do wrong things, the pile of sins, the pile of God's anger for my sins over my head is piling up higher and higher day by day. But then Jesus came 
And as we get to chapter 3 in a few weeks, it'll talk about how Jesus is the sin bearer. He came to be the sin bearer. This is why Jesus died on the cross. Because God is angry with me. He is angry with you, or at least he was. See, if you trust in Jesus, here's what Jesus did. Jesus came and died on a cross. And why did he do that? He died in the place of sinners so that the wrath of God, the anger of God, mounted up over our heads, was poured down on him instead so that he suffered the anger that we deserve, so that we won't, so that you walk and walk out and live in our world as a person following Jesus who knows there is no wrath over your head anymore and there never will be again because the Saviour has taken that away. Isn't that awesome news? It's just extraordinary what God has, the generosity God has shown to us. He's given a chance to us to repent and to turn to him and you think, well, I've done bad things in the past and even if I never sin again, I've got heaps of wrath over my head. Yeah, you would, except Jesus has taken it all away if you trust in him. Now, I told you at the beginning I would call on you to decide today. Now's the time. See, there's only two options in life, really. You repent, you turn to Jesus and away from sin and refusing to trust God, and you receive eternal life. Or you refuse, you walk out here today treating God with contempt and continuing to pile up more and more wrath waiting for your enjoyment on the day of judgment. <laughs> enjoyment. It's a pretty simple choice, isn't it? I'm aware this is a strong claim. I'm not trying to be coercive. But if what I'm saying is true, it's essential you don't get it wrong. So I want to say, where do you stand? What do you choose? Do you you repent of your sins? Do you turn to Jesus and have him bear the wrath of God for you? Please don't leave here today without doing that. Please don't leave here today continuing to be contemptuous towards God and continuing to mount more and more wrath on your head, saving up for the day of judgment. Now, I have. Um, I would like to invite you, if you'd like to today, to pray a prayer with me, which is it's both a way to start being a Christian and to start having the wrath of God removed from you. It's also a way to continue being a Christian because we continue repenting of our sins. The, the Christian life is one of continuing to repent and continuing to trust in Jesus. Um, you actually continue in the Christian life in exactly the same way as you started. That's why we come to church and hear the Bible. So we continue to trust and obey God's word. Um, here's what the prayer is. It says, um, I'll, I'll tell you what it is now so you can pray it in a minute if you want to. It says, um, Dear God, I confess that I have sinned against you and do not deserve eternal life. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for my sins and to suffer your wrath which I deserve. Please forgive me and help me to trust and obey you from now on. Amen. Now, I'm going to pray that now out loud, line by line, and leave a gap in between. And if you want to pray that yourself, um, then I'll leave that space so you can just pray in your own head and heart to God. So um, please will you join me as I pray now. Dear God, I confess that I have sinned against you and do not deserve eternal life. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for my sins and to suffer your wrath, which I deserve. 
Please forgive me and help me to trust and obey you from now on. Amen.